It is the Big 3-0, episode 30 of Honestly Unbalanced. This week, we're chatting to someone that if you like yoga and you've been on Instagram, you probably will know that's Dylan Werner. Dylan is more than just an Instagram person. He is a renowned international yoga instructor and author. His extensive knowledge of anatomy and physiology and a deep understanding of Eastern philosophy lends a unique perspective to his teaching methods. Former US Marine and Iraq war veteran turned firefighter slash paramedic, Dylan left those careers to pursue a life of mindfulness, dedicating himself to helping others in their journey towards a more peaceful, harmonious life. He's also about to release a book, It's Dylan's birthday coming up soon, so do make sure you wish him a happy birthday if you see anything about that at any point. Anyway, I'm rambling. Enjoy the podcast. And guys, just a quickie. If you want to get a yoga mat for anyone or yourself, make sure you check out Lifeform, which are the best mats on the market. Code the hustlers all caps, will get you 10% off and we get a little kickback too. Honestly unbalanced. Did you ever try and cultivate a yoga image? Did you put on the yoga uniform at any point in your life when you were trying to build your yoga brand? Uh, yoga, no, I've, I've never really tried to go for like the yoga image, I guess. I think coming from LA, you, um, there's not really like a yoga image or because um, yoga hit LA much earlier than most of the Western world. Mm. Right. So like obviously yoga came from India, but like Western yoga, what we practice now is, is, is very different than like the Indian yoga. Um, yeah. So, so LA was, I don't know. It wasn't like, there wasn't a look. It was just the LA look. The LA look was a modern yoga look. Yeah, yeah, just just the LA look. But now I guess it's what is it? man buns and beards and. And it, uh, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if it's transcending that. I had that. I had that uniform for a while. Marla beads, Marla mm. beads, earrings, man bun. You know the the funny thing about Marla beads, it like um, I started wearing Marla beads in two thousand and four. Yeah, 2004, I'd just gone through a breakup and I'd, I'd kind of been practicing yoga a little bit, but like the kind of yoga I was practicing like was very physical and no one wore mala beads. There's nothing like spiritual about it. So it's why I really say I didn't start practicing yoga until 2009 when I actually like had more of a rounded practice. But I, I, I uh, in 2004, I went through a breakup and um, I was, you know, I was pretty depressed about it and everything. And I met this guy, uh, this this Irish guy, and he had some Rudraksha mala beads wrapped around his wrists. And I'd never seen mala beads before, before that. And I asked him about it and he like kind of told me a little bit and he said, um, he kind of like gave me an intention behind it. Not that it was anything that like I understand about mala beads now, but he was like, it helps you be a little bit more even keel you know, just like a little bit more even through your emotions. And I think he could tell that I was pretty distressed. And he's, and he, he basically walked me through a little bit of Joppa, uh, which is for, for the listeners, which is just basically a, a type of meditation that you do with, uh, with mala beads where you go through each beat and you say either an intention or a mantra or something. And, mm. and uh, yeah, he, he just said like, he kind of like talked me through it a little bit and how to do it. And he also said, you know, that these have a lot of good energy. And so he gave me these, these very simple Rudraksha, uh, this very simple Rudraksha mala with some red that was on red thread, very kind of traditional. And I wore that every single day until it broke for about eight years. Like until like I was, even when I was like into doing yoga, like, so in that transition, like I got into be actually became a yogi and, and the mala beads became a lot more relevant at that time. But yeah, so I, I was like, I was wearing them and doing Joppa before I even like really knew what, what like the spiritual side of yoga was. The only thing I knew of yoga was, was like stretching and warrior poses and stuff. Did that, did you stay in yeah. touch with that guy? No, I met that guy one time and I never saw him again. Wow. But it was probably the single greatest gift that I'd ever received. 
and and the the day that the those broke just from being so old i was i was so sad about it and i tried to restring them but it's it's pretty hard like, what what did you do with them in the end what did you do with the beads uh i actually don't know what happened to them um i had them for a while i had just like the the beads and yeah i wish i still had them but wow and did they're, you they're, they're no attachment did you start meditating from that point onwards then? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Japa is a little different than meditation. I guess it's a form of meditation. It mm. definitely is a form of meditation, like a mantra. Um, meditation, that's, that's a good topic to get into. My understanding of meditation has changed quite a lot through my journey through yoga of, of really understanding the intention and the purpose of it. Uh, at that time, I think my the meditation practice I went for was much more shamatha. And so for the, the listeners, shamatha means essentially tranquility or mm. like to feel good, to feel happy, which a lot of people do meditation to feel this way. And if you think about Buddhist meditation, it's um, shamatha is on the way towards vipassana or towards insight, towards understanding things, how they are, how they should be. And I think... Uh, meditation changes base based on what your intention of meditation is because meditation like anything like hatha yoga like pranayama like uh meditation or or philosophy there there's essentially tools for understanding and and tools are only good as as your knowledge of those tools and your ability to use them towards something and so like in the beginning, japa was was a meditation for me, uh, repeating a mantra to really just to feel at peace or to feel happy or, or whatever, where as my meditation practice has grown, I've gone more towards Vipassana. And Vipassana is in Vipassana meditation as where like you do the body scanning or, or as in Essen Goenka kind of um, describes Vipassana, but more in the Buddhist uh, sense of Vipassana being uh, this deeper understanding of knowing yourself and knowing the truth, the objective reality um, of understanding the fluctuations of the mind and training the mind and, and knowing where your tendencies go. So that's kind of where meditation went. But I guess I, I've, it's funny you ask that because I've never given that thought of like, when did I start meditating? Mm. But I guess that probably was the beginning of it. In a, when I started martial arts in the year in 2000, in the beginning of that, we did do a little bit of like centering in meditation kind of stuff. But again, again, I think with most people, people think you're supposed to meditate because meditation is good for you or whatever. And they, they, they lack the understanding of the intention behind it. And without the intention of knowing why you're doing it or where you're supposed to go or the purpose of it it really uh, makes the tool of meditation ineffective because you don't have like, you don't have a, you don't have direction with it. You're just kind of like, okay, I'm just supposed to sit here and be quiet and clear my mind. Mm. And, and why do I want to clear my mind? Like, what does that do? What is the purpose of clearing my mind? Mm. Oh, okay. So it's, it's so I could see where my mind wants to go when I'm not trying to control it. And where does it go? And why does it go there? And can it go there without me judging it? Like, do I always have to put a preference or a judgment or something saying this is good or bad? Is good and bad even real? Like, so like all these things start coming in with meditation. But in the beginning, I think for most people, it's just, oh, I'm supposed to do it. Mm. It's kind of like, so many people do pranayama. I guess it's like like almost taking a multivitamin. In a sense, people think it's just part of a routine, something they should do. Let's put, take them out of it before we go to bed and then let's just sit down and listen to a meditation podcast or whatever it might be before we go to bed. And that's that's a job done. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think also people think, I mean, so many people have said to me, I can't meditate because I'm, I'm thinking all the time. I'm so in my thoughts and in my head. And I don't think the idea is to have this completely still landscape when nothing's going on. It's about taking a step back and witnessing what's going on in the mind, right? Yeah, the, the mind has one purpose and that's to think. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you, the, it might like, cause I remember, you know, my first, uh, my, my first 200 hour teacher training, I only did one 200 hour teacher training. I've done 
300, but my first 200 hour teacher training, uh, this yoga chitta vritta narodha, the yoga is the cessations of the fluctuations of the mind stuff. And so I thought, okay, well, this is the goal of yoga. And so if meditation is yoga, then my job is to stop the mind from thinking, but that is, that's a, a non-reality because how can you, how can you go against the purpose of the mind? It's not about stopping. It's uh, like some of my favorite sayings is like trying to meditate is like trying to smooth the water with your hand. The more that you try, the the worse that it gets. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. To, to meditate is actually is not to try to stop it, but to come into stillness and let it actually come to rest. Mm. And if uh, Alan Watts said the best way to clear muddy waters is to let it be. Right. And so my, my meditation practice goes really off of um, kind of the advice of Chula Dasa, who's a great meditation teacher, uh, which is let it come, let it be and let it go. And so to let go of resistance and let go of fighting uh, and be more of the observer. So the thoughts come, you don't stop them because they're going to come mm. the more you try. It's like the, you know, like um, don't think of a pink elephant, right? First thing you think of was a pink elephant. So you, you don't try to, to stop anything. You, you, you see the process and through understanding the process, you could train the mind or it's like uh, training a dog, right? Like if a really good dog is going to sit when you ask it to sit, but the, the illusion is that we have control over that dog sitting. Mm-hmm. The dog is, the dog is going to do what it's going to do because it's separate. It's the same thing with the illusion is we have control over the mind. Mm. We don't. But if we train the mind, then it behaves a lot better than an untrained mind. And essentially that is, that is one of the goals, like you know, shamatha or tranquility is a goal of meditation, but it's uh, meditation is only going to be as good as your intention for it. So, yeah. You speak a lot about intention on your Instagram, which I definitely stalked as I do before every guest before this podcast. <laughs> and um, could you, because I know a lot of um, my students or students in general get a bit confused about what intention is, especially when a teacher sort of stands at the front of the class and says, set your intention for the class. You can kind of. <laughs> it's like when you're blowing a candle out on a cake. That's, I think, when I first started yoga, that's what I thought intention was, like making a wish. <laughs> Like I, Did I, you? I wish, I wish oh, for so six. Sweet. I wish for a six pack by the end of this year. That's my, that's my intention. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think intention is and the importance of it? You know, I don't think that's too far off. <laughs> well, there you go. Because, uh, because it could be your attention, your intention could be to having a six pack, and so basically, you're you're intention and goal is pretty sim- is pretty similar the the intention is what happens in the beginning the goal is what happens in the end right so the the intention is the cause and the goal is the effect and in between there is the action and, and this is what i try to teach my students is like when you have an intention like whatever that is uh, and it could be anything it could be spiritual it could be physical it's just what what is it that you want what is it why are you coming to the mat why are you coming to the cushion why are you doing whatever you're doing what is your purpose i guess you could you could replace intention with purpose like when you when you want your intention what is my purpose of doing this and your purpose is going to point you to your goal eventually, like where you want to go in a place that will never happen because it's in the future, right? But mm-hmm. the, the action is, is what takes you there. So I think like the intention is really the first part of a greater equation. Mm-hmm. You have the intention, you have the tool, which creates the action which leads you to the results or the goal. Mm. And you, you need to understand each one of those steps for anything that you do for it to be uh, essentially mindful, or at least for the, the things that you do in your life to bring you to the place that you want to be. Mm. And I think that's the intention. The intention is like, where do I want to be? I guess, yeah. Mm. I was going to say, how consistent has your practice been, your meditative practice? So since that day when you got those beads, have you had lapses? And I guess like traveling the world as much as you do, you don't necessarily have a routine as someone that works nine to five might. 
I do have a routine. Well, like since COVID, my routine has been more routine because I'm not yeah. traveling as mm. much, uh, which is nice. But even with that, when I when I was traveling like every single week to a new country and, and kind of going through those things, uh, I made sure that I was able to create a routine around that travel. Uh, and so setting up my travel schedule in a way that I, I'm traveling at times mm. that don't compromise my practice for the most part. I mean, sometimes you have to make compromises, but that's life. My meditation practice is consistent seven days a week, wow. 30 minutes a day. Uh, and I've done that for, I don't know how many years now. It's yep. the first thing I do when I wake up. But do you, now ever, I'm in the- do you ever have days where you don't though? Cheeky little no. days. No, wow. wow. That. that is tapas for you. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's it's just like one of those things. Like, like, do you ever have days where you don't brush your teeth? Yeah, this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Adam doesn't <laughs> regularly. <laughs> no, this is just, I, I want to give context. I, Can I give context for listeners? Because I just sound disgusting. <laughs> I I was in a new house painting till late last night. This morning is ripping up carpet. Come straight to do this podcast now. I will brush my teeth today. Please do. <laughs> Carry on, Dylan. Sorry. I, I, brush my, I brush my teeth every day. I also have coffee every day. Uh, except for when I do my teacher trainings, because there's a no coffee rule, then I don't do, do coffee. But my coffee takes me, you know, 30 minutes of drinking coffee. Like most people, when you have your coffee, you enjoy it. And so for me to wake up in the morning and just to dedicate that first 30 minutes to waking up to mm-hmm. meditation when you make that a daily habit, is it hard? I have an I have an hour long pranayama practice every single morning. Wow! Um, what on, on top of I do on top of the meditation. Wow. On top of the meditation, I, I do one hour of pranayama, mm. and then I have an hour and a half to three hours of uh, of vinyasa that I do. That's, Actually, that's a lie. Handstands. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's it, it's vinyasa, but it's it consists mostly of handstands mm. because and there there's there's like vinyasa movements in there that I do. You know, I do down dogs and chaturangas and some warriors and some sun salutations, all that. But m- the majority of it is a handstand practice, mm. and that's just because I'm doing what I love to do as far as movement goes. Um, and you are that's quite that's not every day that is that is not every day okay good that's (laughs) six days a week (laughs) (laughs) but 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 sometimes sometimes uh with the movement stuff if i don't if i don't feel if i don't feel it in my body if i feel tired if i I feel like i need rest i i do honor yeah yeah that's quite a kind of a nice segue into your you've got a book coming out which is called is it the illuminated breath have i said that right yeah you yes said that right. oh yeah. good I, I i do have a book coming out it's uh, available for pre-order called the illuminated breath it comes out on february 9th yeah tell uh, us about what's it about then breathing i'm guessing it, it is about breathing uh and one of the the reasons one of the what sparked the book was I, I have this practice, the, this breath sequencing practice where I move the, again, like, like we're talking about with intention and action and purpose and stuff with meditation. Like you need to know what you're, why you're meditating. And that kind of in a way tells you what kind of meditation you want to do. You know, maybe you want to do a Vipassana meditation. Maybe you want to do uh, transcendental meditation, maybe you want to do, I don't know, heart rhythm meditation or something like that. Like you kind of choose, choose it that way with, with pranayama, with breathing. I just, I just always remember going to yoga classes and teachers going, okay, well, let's do some Nadi Shodana or do some Bastrika or, or whatever practice. And it, I never understood the purpose. It was like, like, like you said, Adam, like taking a multivitamin, like, why am I taking mm. this? Take it because oh well it's good for me but what is it actually good for the the breath is so there, there's we have a few different pinnacles of health one is exercise one is diet one is sleep and one is breathing you could also say like emotional health is in there as well stress or mm. decreasing stress 
uh, and for the most part, we, we were taught how to exercise. We put some emphasis into that. We're taught how to eat. We understand that diet is important. A lot of people don't really get the whole sleeping thing. And very few people are actually taught how to breathe or why breathing is important mm. or what breathing can do for you. And, and it's like, if you go, you're like, okay, I want to do yoga for an outsider that says, I want to do yoga you're they're just like think yoga is yoga it's this blanket term that could mm. it's just one thing but as somebody that's been practicing yoga for a while you're like okay well what kind of yoga do you want to do and it's not that there's different types of yoga really there's just one yoga but there's different goals okay well i want to be more flexible i want to be more strong i want to mm. be more balanced i want to have more skills i want to be more centered or, or whatever it is and that's going to tell you okay well maybe i'm going to do more hatha more vinyasa more power more yin you know, and that based on what your intention is. Well, the breath is is a practice just like that. Well, what do, what do I want from what do I want from this tool? Do I want to uh, increase my athletic performance, which is actually the kind of breath practice I do on a on a daily basis for the most part? Uh, do I want equanimity? Do I want to decrease stress? Do I want to increase my metabolism and lose weight? Do I want to increase my libido? Uh, my sex drive? Do I want to, uh, do I need help sleeping? Do I need help getting energy in the morning? And so all these, these different things are goals and the, and the breath is, is a way that could help move you to these goals, just like exercises, just like diet and, and sleep is they, they affect everything and, and it's holistic. They all work together. They're all synergistic with each other. Uh, and the really interesting thing with the breath is, is uh, how it affects our different systems, our autonomic nervous system, how it affects our energetic system, our, it is like everything as far as like our, um, on a physiological level. Uh, and, and so what I, I kind of started doing, and I've been doing going down this, this path of study with the breath for about 10 years now. So it's not something that just like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna write a book on breath. Mm. It's something that I've been studying and practicing pretty intensely for, for 10 years. Uh, if, if we take an inhale, as, as I inhale, it's going to increase my sympathetic tone. And I could see that by looking at my heart, my heart rate variability, my HRV, uh, it speeds up, right? So that means more sympathetic tone. As I exhale, it's going to increase my parasympathetic tone. So I could also see that through my, my heart rate variability is going to slow down my heart rate. And this is something that happens through every breath. We have this, this kind of pulse uh, that, you know, if, if I take 60, if I have 60 heartbeats in a minute, that's not one heartbeat per second. That's an average of one heartbeat per second. The, the more sympathetic tone I have, the, the more steady it's going to be, the more parasympathetic tone I have, the more varied it's going to be. And so we could, we, people use um, heart rate variability as kind of a marker for health and stress and, and all these different things. And there's a lot of science behind that. Also, if I breathe faster, it's going to be more in the parasympathetic range. If I breathe slower, it's going to be more in the, in the, sorry, in the sympathetic range. If I breathe slower, it's going to be more in the parasympathetic range. And in between that, there is, there is a balance. And if we look at um, the autonomic nervous system, there's another system that was, that was uh, kind of mapped out by Dr. Stephen Porges called the, the polyvagal theory, which has to do with how the vagus nerve has two different branches, the ventral vagal, vagus nerve and the dorsal vagus nerve, and how this has to do with emotions and interactions, um, and then also the sympathetic nervous system. So we have... Uh, basically how we are affected by the world from a, uh, from a feeling of being safe or feeling of being unsafe. And so this is a whole nother map or system that we look at. And these systems also relate equally to the yogic systems of the, the nadis, the gunas and the vayus. So like the, the gunas, which are, um, I know you guys know this, but I'll just explain it for everybody else. The, the gunas are the representation of the energy of the world is, or how energy is manifested through everything, living and non-living. So you have three different systems of energy as we see in nature. We have rajas, which is um, how energy moves and it expands and it keeps going until it reaches exhaustion. 
and the mode of rajas is really to do. And so when we think about goals and, and aspirations and things that we want, it's really the, the, our passion. That's our, that's our rajas energy. Uh, the opposite of that is going to go into Thomas and Thomas is where things go downward and come together and consolidate and the the mode of of Thomas is to have and it's like we see things of being content or in nature it's actually it's like things dying and returning to that and then sattva is is the balance between those two rajas is expanding Thomas is contracting. Rajas is actually it's it's ascending energy, but it's ascension in the way of spiritual growth. And the way that spiritual growth happens is from being being present. And, and so we see these these different things. Well, these also relate to the the autonomic nervous system. Rajas is affected the exact same way as with the inhalation and the sympathetic nervous system. But we also look at, at um, and we look at the sympathetic nervous system from the polyvagal theory as, as it moves up. Tamas is going to be parasympathetic and dorsal vagal, so as it moves down. And we see that we affect Tamas to the exhale. And then sattva is the balance between those two. And then it also comes into the ventral vagal, which is when everything is in balance, it's how we are able to move into our spiritual growth. It's how we're able to communicate with, with others. It has to do with our social engagement, all these things. And these also link into the nadis as we see Edith and Dala Shashumna and the vayus with uh, the balance of there. So you have Udana Vayu and Dhyana Vayu relating to, to Rajas and, and sympathetic. And then you have um, Samana Vayu and Apana Vayu relating to Tamas and the parasympathetic. And then you have Prana, which is kind of the self-balancing relating to Shashumna and, um, and Sattva and the uh, ventral vagal um, complex or like the balance of the autonomic nervous system. I know it sounds really complicated. That's why I, like... That's, I why, that's why you put it in a book. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why we've got a book. Like put it in a book. Because... Once you really dig deep into these maps and you understand, because that's all they are. We, we basically have four components of the breath. We have an inhale, a hold at the top of that mm. inhale. You have an exhale, a hold at the bottom of those exhale, right? So um, Puraka, Antara Kumbhaka, Ruchaka, and Vaya Kumbhaka. So these, these four components. And these four components affect everything with the breath. And then there's a whole another component of like, how does carbon dioxide and nitric oxide how does that affect us on a physiological level and how can we change things and increase in vital capacity and, and all of this stuff. So there's a lot of science into that. And then you take that and in, in the book, I break down every single pranayama, not every single, I break, break down 15 of the most common pranayamas and how those are actually affected on a physiological level, how those are affected through the nadis, the gunas and the bayus or what I call the systems of balance. And understanding how you could take these maps and actually create your own breathing practice that moves you to, towards your goal. And then in the book also, there's 10 breathing, there's 10 practices that I put together. So it's, in, in a sense, it's a manual, uh, but it's also, there's a lot of science through it. And it's um, under, really understanding pranayama from a deeper level, but also how can I use pranayama uh, really to, to make my life better, right? How, mm. how can I do this practice that I know is already good for me, but really use it in, in a way to, to get to, to something. Mm. And for yoga teachers, there, there's a whole part in it for like understanding how to build a breath sequence. So like I, I go through like a, a warm up, a heat building, a vitalizing sequence and a cool down, just like you would sequence a vinyasa class. I sequence the pranayama exercise the same way. How do I modify it to move towards those goals? So if like you were to sequence a vinyasa class that was based on opening up the hips, I could sequence a pranayama class that's yeah. based on energy. Mm. It right? seems like this book's really, uh, really timely because people, people are increasingly aware of breath, mm. I think in, in the world but i think in yoga there isn't that much education like in a, in a typical teacher training as you say you might do you might do a little bit of nadi shodhana 
and that's probably about of it. A bit of right. ujjayi breath, and that's mm. it. You might cover breath for 10 minutes. Mm. And so I see some yoga teachers now kind of importing things from other popular books out there, like Patrick McCowan, etc., mm. kind of importing that. But then it kind of loses a sense of pranayama and it loses the language and it loses maybe some of the intention. And I think the only yoga breathing book I'm really aware of that was successful was years ago, like Richard Rosen, when about 20 years ago, whenever he wrote that. And of course, I guess our understanding of science has massively increased since then. So this book's obviously yeah. come a really time. And did, is that why you wrote it? Did you see kind of a gap or this bit of knowledge that was missing in the yoga world? Yeah, I mean, there is a huge gap, and just I, I, I didn't even realize how big the gap was until I decided to write the book, and I needed to really go out there and do a ton of research and find the citations for all this stuff. And most of my my study with breathing had all been more on the scientific part of it, understanding like the, the physiological part, the and what it, breathing does through that. But when I when I went in and to understand the the yoga side of it, and I was I was really lucky. I had great teachers that came from Swami Sachinanda and Baba Haridas, like these these really old lineages that I could use to kind of go against, and also have as kind of validation, like am, am, what I'm writing is this in line with mm. with like the intention of yoga. Because when I'm going through the, the Hatha Yoga Pradikaba or the the Shiva Samhita, the Garunda Samhita, I'm probably not pronouncing those the best, but mm-hmm. you know, California. <laughs> but as as I look through those and and read through like the pranayama and stuff, or even light on pranayama, the the amount of dogma that is in there is is crazy, and it's just I I think. I think that's one of the detriments of yoga is the amount of dogma mm. that, that is in. yoga is such a powerful tool, but if it's, if it doesn't have the basis, if it doesn't have the roots, then it's going to lose relevance through time because of how it's evolving. But, uh, mm. but it's, it actually is all there. You just have to understand it from a, from a different way. So a big part of the book was to keep the yoga in it, but also in a way where you understand like, Okay, so like the values, for instance, I the the chapter on the values, I talk about the values in a way of relationship. So one way that like the way I learned the values was okay. So Donna values is spiraling energy up. Pana values is energy going down. Samana values brings everything together. Beyond values moves everything out through the body. Pana values moves everything in and out. Well, that's that's great and all but like how does knowing how these these winds because bio means winds and the these energies moving through the body how does that actually help me with anything Hmm. but when you understand when you understand it as as a map of relationships and balance because ultimately we're looking towards balance or we're looking to move in a direction away from balance based on our goals so if I look at the relationship between pranavayu, the, the, the values are called the pranavayus, which so pranavayu really has the most importance. And this is the relationship between outer and inner nature as we bring outside energy in and inside energy out. So we find the balance be- between these two or or um, a pranavayu and vyanavayu, which a pranavayu, uh, sorry, a pranavayu and udanavayu. So pranavayu is the downward flow of energy uh, Udanavayu is the upward flow of energy. And what do these represent? And it's like Apanavayu is as it moves down, it's so it's it has to do with attachment and releasing attachment. If there's uh, an imbalance here, you have too much attachment. You're too held in in your in your place. And so what you need is the the balance of that, the opposite, which is Udanavayu, which is the upward flow or more going into like uh not higher self, but your dreams, your aspirations, all these things. If you are too much of a dreamer, then your head's in the clouds and that you have no grounding, no basis in reality. So you need a Panavayu to ground you. But if you're too attached to yourself, then you have, you, you lack the ability for change. And so one of the ways is like, okay, so this is a, a beautiful system that shows us how to navigate life. And then I can understand because these are energies and emotions, feelings, all these things are actually energetic things and how we feel are our uh, results of our autonomic nervous system. 
and having to do with the polyvagal theory and all this stuff. So when I'm able to look at these, these systems, I could say, okay, well, I feel really attached and stuck and I need, I need to be more of a dreamer. I need more aspirations. So what are the breath practices mm. that I can do mm. as a tool to bring me more into Donna Bayou? And then all of a sudden this, this kind of ancient archaic system that we don't really understand becomes a very useful map that mm. I could, that I have to navigate. That, so, that's the sign for me of like a good teacher to be able to combine i guess yo an honor yoga tradition but combine it with a un- modern understanding mm. of and contemporary language i think that is is, is a skill that is is missing mm. often in the world but it's like on that kind of, on that note sorry on that note like as you are clearly an educator like naturally you are good at explaining things good at taking complex information and sending it out there was this always direction of travel for you? Did you mm. think this is what you would be? You would be a an educator, or did, what direction did you want to go in? Yeah, I want to know the journey. Uh, I was a firefighter paramedic. Wow. So, I so the, I mean the paramedic side did help me like have a bit of the medical background and stuff, but no, it's never an educator. I started teaching yoga kind of on a whim. Uh, just because I loved yoga. So I took a teacher training because I thought that would help me deepen my knowledge. And then in the teacher training, I was like, wow, this is, this is really fun. I really enjoy teaching. And then it was just about teaching movement. And, and I've always been kind of interested in, in the truth or understanding more of the spirituality side uh, of it. And, and through the journey of just being a mover and a yogi, you start coming across these different paths. You start learning about Buddhist philosophy and Hindu philosophy, yoga philosophy, non-dualism, and all these uh, and all these different things. And I, I don't I don't know if I'm I'm much of an educator or I don't know. I just kind of like share what I'm interested in. I, uh, I I think like one of my gifts is. is being interested in a lot of things and being passionate about a lot of things. And so when I'm passionate about something, I love it. It's like, if you go out to eat, like I'm the kind of guy, like if I order something and it's delicious, I'm going to make you try it. <laughs> right. I'm just like, dude, this is so good. You got to try I think it. you because made, it- I think you made us try some of your cod. Oh yes, you did actually. You. The black some cod. Black <laughs> cod. In London. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> at a, at a uh, Chotomate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Yeah. I, that's that's just that's just how I've I've always been. I just like sharing. So I don't even see it as like trying to educate. Because I don't know if that's if that's possible. If you could actually educate somebody, people people learn through their own experience, mm. and they insert themselves in, in whatever you share. You're never sharing. You you're never sharing things in its purity. Even though it might come from you in a pure way, people mm. are going to take. They're going to place themselves within it and find their own understanding, which is, I, I don't, I think that's the beauty of, of learning and humanity and growing and all that. So I kind of got away from this thinking that I could teach anybody anything. Uh, really, all I can do is share my experiences and, and hope that they, people are able to find my experiences mm-hmm. useful, even if it's like factual information. Uh, that could help better their lives so maybe i phrased it wrong maybe what you're kind of quite good at is absorbing information and kind of regurgitating it in a very accessible way with a hell of a load of passion Hmm. (laughs) if if, if you say so i don't know it's always easier for someone else to tell you what you're good at you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what was your life like before you found yoga? FYI, not good at accents. Just, I just want to say that. I want to put that out there. That's something you're not good at. Okay, we, you, we've discovered you, earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've got to answer no. this question in a Brummie accent. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm just wondering what your life was like before yoga because you seem so full of information and so wise now. Was, was, have you always kind of had an inner wisdom or what was it like before? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, not so much. I think I was like kind of an asshole before, <laughs> pretty self-centered, uh, lost, unhappy. Mm. When very goal-oriented, very goal-oriented. All I all I cared about was achieving things. Really. 
and trying to get people to like me. I think that was, that was a big thing. Like I wanted everybody to like me. And the interesting thing was like, no one liked me. Uh, I had a few friends like growing up in high school. I was, I was like the friend that the other friends made fun of, Aww. you know, that like in the group, I know it sounds pretty sad. Yeah. Say yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, I tried so hard to get people to like me. And then it was like, it, it was interesting. Like yoga, even as a firefighter, I think, I had a hard time being a firefighter because I tried to please everybody and tried to try to do everything and help, help everybody. And then like when I became a yogi, I kind of started to understand that this, this whole journey isn't about me and no one really cares about me or what I'm doing or whatever. And so I, I let all that go. I let go of the need to please people or, mm. or try to be popular or whatever. And then all of a sudden I have like, 700 and something thousand followers I on know. Instagram. When, when, when did you notice? When did you notice there was a change? Because obviously, a change in our personal psyche doesn't happen overnight and it kind of creeps up on us. Was there a point when you noticed actually, I am a hell of a load calmer than I was years ago? Did you, did you notice the change eventually? Uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like all of a sudden there was a change. Yeah. It was like, there was a lot of relapses. Like I would have epiphanies. I would have like these breakthroughs and then these relapses mm -hmm. into my old self. And, and that was like that for years, like becoming a better person, noticing that I was a better person and doing something that was like against that. Like, um, yeah, just needing it needing affirmations from people or like seeking that like i'd be like i don't i don't need anything i don't need people to approve me or whatever and then like to the people closest to me being like i'm good right you think you like me right you know what i'm doing good right you know and it's just i mean that was that was like so much of just trying to get everybody to be like oh you're 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 great you're amazing right uh to the point now when people are like yeah, you know, I, I get this thing like, oh, well, you're Dylan Werner, like kind of thing. And it just like almost is cringe or when, when people compliment me, I'm like, uh, you know, I know I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not that great. I'm just, I'm just, I'm. We like you, Dylan, don't we, Adam? I'm not fishing. I'm not fishing. <laughs> I don't, I don't want that. But it's, it's, yeah. So, so now it's like, um. I kind of understand my role and my position and what people see of me. And, and I've learned to just take that with gratitude. So when people, if I've made a positive impact in someone's life, which I know, I know that's possibly because there's a lot of people that have made a positive impact in my life and i look up to them and I'm thankful for them. So I just go in the way of like, of really just appreciation. Like, thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm so happy to be, a piece in your journey or a stepping stone. Mm, that's know, lovely. There. Like, I think the more we practice yoga, the more we realize, like you said, it's, it's just not about us and our own personal goals, but we're actually part of a much bigger picture and all of our actions and thoughts and feelings and everything affect the whole web of the world. And it's not just about us, but how we can play a role positively in affecting the world. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, how have you, uh, like, I, 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 when I first met you, I did, I, I found a disconnect. I found, I assumed based on your social media. And I was like, okay, handstands, lots of handstands, cool, impressive stuff. And then I met you and actually I found lots of depth to it, to what you were saying. I, I, I found just immense knowledge mm. and an and actual yogi, not, 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 not a contortionist that also, you know, that calls themselves a yogi. I found someone that actually lived what I might consider a kind of a yogic lifestyle or, uh, you know, was, was passionate in that sense. Have you, have you had trouble with that? I guess, you know, when you build a profile of the size you have, there'll always be people that misunderstand you or people that, jump to conclusions mm. without having met you perhaps like how how have you how have you navigated that uh if i'm on it well thank you because i thought you were going to say when i met you i thought you were an asshole it's mm. like okay well, but we we have known each other for quite a few years now um but i i think it's 
so in the beginning, especially when I was in LA and I was doing the things that I was doing and I, I, you know, I have put in a lot of time to understand the philosophy of yoga and the traditional side and all that and to grow my knowledge as a yogi, not just being like an acrobat gymnast or whatever, uh, that people view me as. So when people are like, that's not yoga or what you're doing is a yoga or put me down for that. Like I, I was, it hurt. Like I was pretty offended by it. And I mean, maybe within the past two years, I've really started to understand my position and all this, that we all define things different. Mm. And I think one of the biggest, the, I don't know, I know you've been doing yoga for a really long time. Uh, so you probably have understood this much sooner than I did. Uh, my, my biggest realization with all of it was, was that I'm trying to understand what the objective experience is, meaning the experience that it, that I'm not involved with mm. and that all I can understand in this world is my subjective experience. No matter how enlightened I get, I can only understand things through my ego, through who I am. And through who I am, I define everything in my universe. And every single person does the exact same thing. Mm. Uh, and so one of the, the problems that most people have difficulty with, and especially in relationships, uh, not just like like husband, wife, like you guys or boyfriend, girlfriend, but friend to friend or, or whatever, or even colleague to colleague, is that we have conversations where we think we're talking about the same thing, but the thing that we're talking about, we define differently. And so essentially we're talking about two different things. And what I've come to understand is that everybody really defines yoga as something different. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure Adam and Holly, you guys, when you came into yoga, you thought yoga was one thing. And then after one year, you thought it was something else. Yeah. And then after five years, you thought it was something else. Mm. And after 10 years, you thought it was something else. Uh, and this is something that I've had to, I've really done my best to understand that someone coming into yoga or whatever their journey with yoga, even if they've been doing yoga for 20 years, their journey has been different. So they're, definition of yoga is different for them than it is to me in the beginning yoga was was hatha poses you know warrior two and and chaturanga and then um then it was something different and and so basically when someone goes like that isn't yoga it's like if you know if it's not yoga in your definition then you're right it's not yoga because you're that is your definition mm. and why i have no right to no entitlement to say that I define like my definition of yoga is better than yours. And mm. it doesn't matter if, if you're Patabi Joyce, Patanjali or, or Jack Smith, you know, it, it's like, it, it's the same thing as if, if you talk about love, you know, uh, I have my definition of what love is and unconditional love and all, and all these things. And everybody has their own different one. And you can't go to somebody mm. and tell them like, you don't know what love is, right? That's just that all that is is arrogance and, mm. and ego. Mm. So being able to to see things a bit more objectively and less from my my subjective ego, I have uh, it, it's helped me become a little bit more kind and understanding when someone goes that isn't yoga. I go, you're right. You know, according to your definition, it's not, but mm. it's mine. Is it? You know, and so. We, we could actually both be right in this position and it's okay. What is your definition of yoga? My definition of yoga is, it's more of a state of being, uh, it's about understanding the whole. So being a part of the whole, which is the greater truth. I think yoga really does a good job in, in laying out what Maya is, uh, the illusion. Uh, so Maya, Maya means illusion, but that doesn't mean that it's not real. It just means it's not as it appears. It's something different. And so we, we see something, and because we are having a subjective experience, meaning seeing things from my ego, that everything else looks like other. Everything I see is not me because I only know me and other. Those, those, those are the only two realities, mine and other. Yoga kind of teaches us that that isn't reality, that there is just whole that separation is the illusion that we are different. Uh, and so yoga is, is essentially the, the path 
the journey to understanding wholeness. Mm. It's beautiful. Would you have any advice for yoga teachers? Obviously, you train teachers. You've got three hundred hour. You got two hundred hour training as well. I'm two hundred. Two hundred three. So the question is, when you know when you started teaching yoga or doing yoga as a career, uh, you know you came into it at a unique time. You generated, uh, you know, your Instagram. Uh, you educated yourself. It's a very different world for new yoga teachers now. Forget COVID. Take all of that out of the equation. But even pre pre pandemic, it's a very different world for yoga teachers. You know, more teachers out there, more teacher trainings. What advice would you give people who think you know they want to emulate you? They, I want, I want however many thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers you have. I want to emulate what Dylan has. Like my view is that's probably impossible for a new yoga teacher to do that now if they want objectively you know, what you have. But what advice would you give to a new yoga teacher about heading out into the yoga teaching world? I, I think under like bringing back to the beginning of our conversation, understanding your intention. Why do you want a lot of followers? Why do you want to be popular? Why do you, why do you even want to teach yoga? Mm. People go, I want to teach. I, I, when I started out teaching yoga, it was, it was never to be popular, famous. I had, a, I had a career, I had a job and I just taught yoga because it was fun. That, that, that was the reason why I did it because I, I loved it. And then, and then it became more about, I like teaching yoga because it's my passion. And then it eventually became, I want to teach yoga because it's my purpose. Mm. It's actually why I live. And, and the whole reason behind that is because yoga has genuinely made my life better. And if it's made my life better, the possibilities that it makes someone else's life, life better is good. And why wouldn't you want to share that? Mm. So it, you, you got to take away all the other things like having a, a big Instagram. There's better ways to have a big Instagram. If you want to be famous and make a lot of money, become a gamer, start a YouTube channel, play Fortnite, whatever. That's <laughs> way easier than a famous yoga teacher. Uh, and famous yoga teacher, just it's, it's like a funny thing. Like I have a hard time. I, I never tell people like, oh, I have a big Instagram following or I'm a famous yoga teacher. It just it's, It sounds so horrible to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I, I did right because it's it's like it's like saying those things in a way is like saying like I'm better than other yoga teachers because mm. people want to follow me and and being a good yoga teacher at least what I teach my students like what makes somebody a good yoga teacher has nothing to do with what they know their ability to sequence their anatomy whatever their life experience. Uh, it's just that they have a story that someone else wants to hear and someone else could benefit from. Mm. Like oh, to be a good lovely. yoga teacher just means you have students that like you. Because mm. there's nothing quantitative about being good. It's an opinion. Mm. Yeah. Like what makes a good yoga teacher? That's so some nice. people are not a good yoga teacher. Right? So it's just, I tell my students, just as long as you have students that like you, you're doing the right thing. Mm. Mm. Oh, that's and really I, nice. I, it seems that people perhaps due to social media i think a lot of people become teachers they don't ask why they're becoming teachers because they like the idea of being a yoga teacher mm. or the lifestyle that's associated with that it's almost like they don't actually want to teach yoga they want the lifestyle mm. of a yoga teacher i think sometimes is is something that people get slightly confused by we're going to do some quick far questions now we've been okay. we've been chatting for a while holly you well I, I actually just wanted to ask one more thing what what does because we talked about goals and intentions a little bit but i think i watched one of your interviews and you said now your goal is just to be the best version of you every day which i think is so lovely so do you not have any sort of um idea of where you're going in the future and what the future looks like do you just kind of go with the flow now as long as you're being your best self every day does it not matter anymore so yes, I, I do. I do definitely try to just give my best every day. And honestly, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'd say I try to give my best about 30% of the time. I'm, I'm pretty good about it. The other 70% of the time I'm, I'm, uh, I'm slacking. Uh, but there, there's a difference between goals and, and planning. And I, I think so like I had, I, I try to, to plan at least to prepare, but my goal is still just to like do my best. Mm. So planning is just setting up the steps 
that allows you to move in the direction that you want to go. Again, that intention, action, and and then goal or whatever that that comes in through the purpose. Mm. Uh, so like one of the things like I'm planning like this releasing this book and seeing how it does and then maybe writing another book mm. um I, I would like to get into public speaking i think i i do like do like talking i've i've been kind of pegged as this handstand guy or whatever but it's really the, the kind of the smallest part of my practice mm. Mm. i love that so. it, it sucks people in yeah. And that's a good thing. Like, if that's what it takes to get people to listen to you, if that's what it takes, if a crazy handstand on a beach that looks amazing allows people to read the copy <laughs> that the text underneath yeah. that isn't necessarily related, perfect. You just sometimes that hook is what people need, and that's why you know fast vinyasa yoga is often what an athletic person needs to even get onto a yoga mat, and then eventually they meditate and do you know do other bits and pieces. Should we quick fire now then? Quick, so first quick fire related. What is wealth for you? Having lots of money. No. Yeah. Ah, um, <laughs> uh, such that, that's that's a hard question because there's different. There's wealth like as monetary sense or knowledge or friends or whatever. Um, I I would say wealth is having more than what you need. Nice. Mm. More than what you need. Do you have a, a mantra, one a favorite mantra that you live by? Um like, like just a or a quote or uh, something that you kind of keep coming back to to anchor yourself. Uh aham prema. What does that mean? I am love. I am love. Oh, oh that's so nice. Item that when you traveled really regularly, item that was always in your hand luggage that was unusual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I travel with everything I own because I've been living out of a suitcase since like 2013. <sighs> so it's like everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I travel with everything. Life, life, life. If you bag. could settle in one country forever, where would it be? I'll tell you when I know. Okay, we'll come back oh, to you on that one. I one think more. that is, do you want to do a little treat one? What's your, what's your... <laughs> I, I always ask, what's your favorite sweet treat? Mm. Brownies, maybe. God, I, mm. I do love I do love sweets, but like mm. a really dank, moist brownie. Mm. Gank. Dank. What, what, what does that mean? Gank. Dank, dank is, I think that's oh, maybe a California word. Dank just means like heavy. Yeah. And thick. And moist. And oh, yeah. It's like. You, you know, like a brownie is, is like you, it's it's almost gooey, but it's heavy and like it just like it almost makes it sound when you break oh. it apart. Oh, you know, stop! It's, like, <laughs> oh. it's the biggest smile you've had on the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go and have a brownie now. <laughs> and that's my favorite, my favorite thing you've said today was the word multivitamin. Oh, like, multi! Both, both parts of that word on english english oh please can you try and say it in a in a british accent multivitamin <laughs> multivitamin no multi multivitamin multivitamin that's quite uh, good it's, not bad it's, in english it's multi it's multivitamin that's in no. Amer- american the, uh, the, other, the, the word that really the, the, the word that really gets me with american people at the moment because i keep hearing them say it i don't know why it's we say niche Oh, and they say like Nietzsche. Nietzsche. What's They're like that? talking about philosophers. Like Nietzsche. <laughs> His Nietzsche. <laughs> I don't. I don't say that. Good. You say niche. I say niche. Oh, good. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Well, we're going to leave it on good terms then. <laughs> D- no, 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 so, what do no, people? The other, one, the other ones are like aluminum and aluminium. Oh yes. Or skeletal and skeletal. Skeletal. Oh, oh, oh. and also um, root and route. Take that route. Root route i say both honestly mm, go for root it's better and just root. let's just direct people to the stuff so the book is released when the book it's available for pre-order now so pre-order it because my public my publisher really wants pre-orders <laughs> and it's, <laughs> right, and it's it. called <laughs> what's it called you get, again? It the best, you get it at the best price and you get it first so and it's, it's coming up the the illuminated it's called the Illuminated Breath. You could buy it on Amazon, Book Depository, whatever. If you're 
If you don't know where to buy it, you go to my website, dylanwarneryoga.com, and there's a, there's a thing that says the Illuminated Breath, and there's a, a bunch of different options mm-hmm. to buy it. Uh, and, or whatever. and your Instagram, because Dylan could do with a few more followers, guys. What's, I, what's yeah, your Instagram? If you, to, if you want to follow me, I don't know why you would, because <laughs> uh, uh, my Instagram is dylanwarneryoga.com. No, just Dylan Warner Yoga. Yeah, perfect. Did you ever have, side question, did you ever have Dylan Warner or has it always been Dylan Warner Yoga? It's always been Dylan Warner Yoga. They're, Dylan Warner is taken. I would like to just be what? Who's Who by? I, I guess he's called Dylan Warner, but who is he? Let's kill him. A guy named Dylan Warner that, I, I don't know, he's got like <laughs> 100 or 200 followers. Uh, or something like. Have, really have you ever tried to buy it off him? No, no, I don't really care that much. We someone, someone, someone owned Holly Hustler. Did I try to get Holly Hustler? Yeah, she's a porn star. No, we presume that because there's no, you can't get Holly Hustler, but Holly Hustler doesn't exist. So what we're presuming is a naughty Holly Hustler did a bit of porn on there and they deleted the name. This is what we figure. Anyway, on that note, on that note, it is. It's pretty good. Holly Hustler. Like yeah, Hustler magazine. whole different story. Like, yeah, no. I'm a cl- clean, squeaky no tea for me. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> Dylan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate um, it. Um, 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 oh. Honestly, I'm balanced.